Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Of course, online, if you're watching this, you might be watching the live stream at faithonhill.com. You might be listening to the audio podcasts on Spotify or Apple Music. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and you can subscribe to our podcast feed, which has the Sunday mornings. It has 20-minute Bible study, talk about anything, and starting points. We also, of course, uh, put our videos up permanently on our Facebook page, and you can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. Now, uh, in person, we're at our building. We have kids' church. We have uh, worship through song. We pray together. We study God's Word together. Same message that you're going to hear this morning online. Uh, it's, It's there on Sunday mornings as well. And then we meet in small groups throughout the week, and you can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. But the small groups, we have an online one, uh, we have in-person ones, and uh, we have a few different options. We have a young adult small group on Tuesday nights. We have youth group on Tuesday nights as well. So there's uh, a lot of things going on and looking forward to continuing our study in the book of the Revelation. Well, last week, the Lamb, Jesus, began to open the seven seals that sealed up that scroll we saw in Revelation chapter 5. And he opened the first six seals, and judgment began to pour out on the earth. And then there was a pause. In chapter 7, stuff's going on, but the seventh seal has not been opened yet. And the way to think of the seals and all of the other judgments, there's three main set of judgments in the book of the Revelation. And basically, there are seven seals. And the seventh seal is so big and so you know, contains so many things that it's described as seven trumpets of judgment. Each time a trumpet is blown, another judgment happens. But all of those seven trumpets are contained within the seven seals, or within the seventh seal, excuse me. Then you have seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet is so big and so full, it's described as seven bowls of judgment being poured out on the earth. Yeah, and so... All seven trumpets exist within the seventh seal. All seven bowls exist within the seventh trumpet that exists within the seventh seal, uh, if that makes sense to you. And today, Jesus is going to open the seventh seal and begin these seven trumpet judgments. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, when he, that's Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. We Altars and incense, what's going on there? And especially if you have a, a, a more tradition, traditional is the wrong word, liturgical background, uh, Catholic Orthodox, maybe some forms of Lutheran or Anglican churches. You might recognize some of these things, altars and uh, incense swingers. You know, it's that, it's that thing that gets kind of swung on a chain full of smoke. It looks like a lantern often. What's going on there? In the temple, in the Old Testament, we are told in the New Testament that the things in the tabernacle and then later the temple were basically symbolism of things that exist in heaven. There were these incense burners and these censers that swung uh, from the priests and and they would fill the, the courtyard of the temple with smoke, fragrant smells, and they were to represent the prayers of God's people and the presence of God. 
intermingling. And in heaven, we see in the book of the Revelation that there is this fragrance that is the prayers of the people of God. And this altar, why is there an altar in heaven? Uh, The idea is that the sacrifices of worship and praise and ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus is there present in the presence of God. It says that the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came great peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightnings and earthquakes. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were burnt up. A third, and all the green grass was burnt up. So a third of the trees, uh, a third of the earth itself, and all the green grass was burnt up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs. The name of this star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. A fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair, calling out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. So there is apparently some warning that will be given. There is apparently some warning that will be given. You've experienced four trumpet blasts, but three more are coming. Woe to you. But just like the end of chapter 6, right? When we were studying last week, the, the, all of the people hid themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. And they would not repent. They would not turn. They knew that this was coming from God. They knew that this was judgment for their evil for the rebellion, and they would not repent. They would not bow their knee. They would not say, forgive me. Chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now you remember last week, 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe, were sealed by the angels of God for a purpose, for a mission, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. And they are protected. There are those who teach that Christians will go through the Great Tribulation, but they will have the seal of God on them, and so they will not be harmed. I 
don't have a problem with the idea that Christians will not be harmed by the wrath of God. In fact, it's one of the main reasons I believe Christians will not be present during the tribulation. My problem is only that I don't have a place in the Bible that tells me that. I have a place in the Bible that tells me that there will be 144,000 Jewish witnesses to the people of Israel that will be sealed. That's all I have. So that's all I can go with. These locusts were told not to harm the grass of the earth nor any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on the forehead. They were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. So they will not kill the people of the earth, but they will torment them. And the agony they suffer was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Now that's an interesting verse. The idea is that there will be people who try to take their own lives and God will not allow it to die. There will be people who wish for death and they'll think, why haven't I died yet? But it won't happen. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like a crown of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair. Their teeth was like the teeth of a lion. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like a thundering of many horses and chariots running into battle. And they had tails like stingers, like scorpions. And their uh, tails, they had power to torment people for five months. And they had a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is the destroyer. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. So if you go look at a picture of the, uh, what they think the Jewish temple looked like, the altar had these four kind of horned points on each side of the square or rectangle. And these voices are coming from there. And they say, uh, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and this very day were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. So 10,000 times 10,000 is a million. Twice that, two million, a two million person army. Now, of course, China claims to have a two million person army. So growing up, hearing this teaching, all I heard was, oh, this is obviously that China will come west and invade. Maybe. It doesn't tell me that. It just tells me that there is this massive army coming. And they have been prevented up until now by these four angels that are bound at the Euphrates River. Did you know there were four angels bound at the Euphrates River? I mean, honestly, this is new information to the people, the original readers. I would just say this. I don't know who or where this army is coming from. I do know that there are spiritual powers at work in this world and that these Angels have been put in place as a preventative measure until God says, no more, release them and let this happen. There are times in people's lives where God is preventing things by his grace and mercy. There are times we say, oh, the hand of God is on that person. And we think of it in terms of blessing them, of giving victory and an increase in their, in their situation. 
What if the hand of God is on somebody or on a situation in a preventative means? God's not blessing them. God's not increasing them. But one day he might remove his hand from them or from those people or from that group or from that nation or from that situation. And as his hand is removed and he says, take the prevention away. And then everything just falls apart. The number of the mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. So this massive multi-million army comes swarming in and they kill a third of mankind. I looked this up this last week. World War II, it's estimated, killed just under 4% of the human population. Now, that's probably underreported. The Russians underreported how many people died. The British underreported how many people died in their colonies as they starved them so that they could save England. Uh, We don't know how many people died in places that just for different reasons, it's not worth uh, a nation's reporting. In Manchuria, the abuses and the terrors that happened and uh, just so on and so on. We don't know the full extent of, of human suffering, but the estimate is around 4%. This war will kill a third of humanity. The riders and the horses I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire and smoke and sulfur that came out of their mouth. The power of the horses was like uh, was in their mouth and in their tail, for their tails were like snakes having a head which could inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or walk. They did not repent of their murders. They did not repent of their magic arts, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. This is God's word. So I want to talk about three things today from chapters 8 and chapter 9 of the book of the Revelation. I want to talk about symbolism, I want to talk about silence, and I want to talk about prayer. Symbolism. We just read some wild verses talking about creatures that had heads like lions and and their weapons was out of their mouth and a third of the earth died from, from their mouth and from the sting that came out of their tail. What is going on there? What are these locusts that come and inflict pain on the earth for five months? People want to die, but they can't die. What is going on? There are three ways that you could look at these passages. The first is that it's totally symbolic, that everything in here is not literal, but it's just meant to paint a bigger picture. Somebody has noted that, you know, when it says at the beginning of chapter 8 that there was silence in heaven— for about half an hour. I, I heard somebody note that the book of the Revelation is very orchestral. It's very symphonic. If you listen to, um, you know, heavy metal music, and I do sometimes, I listen to really, really heavy stuff. I like uh, bands like uh, August Burn Red and Red and uh, Malian and the Sons of Disaster and uh, stuff like that. And if you listen to it, it's heavy. It starts boom, 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 and it just goes, right? And it's like nonstop in your face. Symphonic music, orchestral music has ebbs and flows. I really love 
symphonic music. Um, I've been listening a lot to the Sense and Sensibility soundtrack from the 90s uh, adaptation. It's a beautiful piece of, of art. Uh, I love Vivaldi's The Four Seasons. That's one I go back to often. These, these things that move and they're big and they're powerful and then they're slow and they're soft. Revelation is like that. It's not just go, go, go. It's not a three minute and 30 second pop song that's easily digestible. It's not a, a piece of hard rock or heavy music that is just go, boom, boom. It's not, you know, trance or techno that's just in your face. Instead of being in your face, it is a ups and downs. There's big things, and then there's pauses. There's what's going on, and then there's clarity. The book of the Revelation is, is very symphonic in the way that it moves and it breathes. It's not a quick three-minute, 30-second pop song. Did you know that that was like the average length? If, you're, if your song was three minutes and 30 seconds, then it was perfect. Back when radio airplay was the thing that mattered the most in terms of something being a pop hit right? And some things in the Bible are easy. They're easy to read. They're easy to understand. They're, they're shorter in length. This is not one of them. It's big and it's broad and you have to absorb it. Is everything that we just read in chapters 8 and chapters 9 just symbolism? It's just big imagery and it's depicting that, you know what, there's going to come a time and God is going to judge the earth and it's going to be really terrible for those who have continually refused the grace of God. That could be. That's one possibility. The, but the symbols matter. Because if you just say, oh, it's all symbolic, and so we don't really have to pay attention to it, then you miss the truths that are in it. For example, let's say it's all just symbolic. Then the imagery that is being used is being used to make it clear that despite everything, people refuse to repent. Jesus came and he healed people. Jesus came and he comforted people. Jesus came and he raised the dead. And he was rejected and crucified. The, the church spread out proclaiming the risen Savior. And the apostles and those missionaries and those early believers. What did they do? You read about the first church, the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And they were feeding the poor and they were taking care of widows and orphans and they were concerned about their world and they were telling people the good news and they were thrown in prison and they were beaten. They spread out and they, some of them who were in Jerusalem, but then they lived in other parts of the world, they returned home and they began telling people the good news. And it wasn't just for Jewish people, it was for all people. And yet those who made money off of the human trafficking, off of the idolatry, off of the immorality, off of the thefts, off after all the things that are listed in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9, went against them. Think about this. Imagine that there was a massive wave of people coming to faith. How stoked do you think the drug dealers, the human traffickers, the crooks, the corrupt would be about that if all of a sudden the people paying the bribes, if all of a sudden the people funding these empires built on substance abuse and, and human suffering were just losing money left and right, do you think they'd be stoked about the church? They would not. The grace of God came and people said no, violently said no. The wrath of God comes in Revelation 
and all of a sudden there's judgments on the earth. And for the last several chapters, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, the people have known, the Bible says they will know on some way, somehow that this judgment is coming and it's coming from God because of their actions, and they still will not repent. That during this time of suffering, they will not give up their idolatry. And you might say, "What? Well, that's for primitive people. We're very advanced. In massive parts of the world, millions of people all across the world still engage in what we would think of as classical idolatry. Things made of stone, rock, silver, gold, wood, things that cannot see, that cannot hear, that cannot walk, and yet they are worshipped as God. Millions of people, smart people, intelligent people all across this world still worship idols. They did not repent of their murders. Think of the violence that is going on across our world right now. I'm praying for the peace of Sudan. If you know what's going on in in Yemen, most Americans don't because our news rarely talks about international things. Uh, There's, of course, Ukraine. We do know about that. We know about the Uyghur uh, genocide happening in China. Christians all across the globe, but especially in parts of South Asia and in Africa and in the Muslim world, are living in persecution, imprisoned, beaten, and sometimes killed. They don't repent of their magic arts. Now, whether magic is real or not, I, I tend to think like magic is not real. I also think the supernatural and the spiritual are very real. And these people who engage in occultic practices. And there are people, intelligent people, who engage in the occult. I know somebody, somebody I grew up with, who, incredibly smart person, incredibly educated person, master's degree, doctorate. And they regularly engage in occultic practices. And what's interesting is just like in the first century, where sexual immorality was largely linked to pagan idol worship and occultic practices. This this person I know, master's degree, doctorate, bachelor's degree from respected schools. Their practice of paganism is largely linked to sexual practice. It's, It's fascinating to me that we're going full circle on this. So if these things are just symbolic, if the scorpion stings and the, 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 the things, these creatures with heads like lions, but also sometimes faces like humans and what's going on there, if it's all symbolic, don't miss the story they're telling. Because the truth that they are getting across, hey, do we have your attention yet? The grace of God came and people rejected it. The justice of God comes and people will still not repent. What's it going to take for you to say, this isn't working? How many more nights do you have to wake up and and have a horrific hangover to, to be sick endlessly? You know, I know so many people who tell these stories of just like, oh man, it was crazy what we did. And it's like, that sounds terrible. Broken relationships, broken health, broken worlds. The number one demographic at our church is educators. This church knows more than anyone the brokenness that's going on in our worlds. This church knows more than anyone the suffering that kids are going through because of substance abuse, because of sexual immorality, and because of different forms of idolatry of their parents and their family and their community around them, and they're brought into this. And they suffer for it, and we will not repent. Are these creatures, are these symbols, are these judgments, it talks about 
hail mixed with fire and blood coming down. It talks about mountains being thrown into the sea. Are they symbolic? If they are, don't miss the story they're telling. Are they literal? Maybe. Don't underestimate the power and the reality of the spiritual and the supernatural. Let's say that there were demonic creatures that were being held in check for such a time and then they are released when that fifth trumpet sounds and the key to this abyss is opened. What, what if that is literal? We believe in the God who created the entire universe. We do not believe that the world around us is only three dimensions. We do not believe that the world around us is only flesh and bone. We do not believe that this elemental earthly matter is all there is. What if it's literal? Don't underestimate the supernatural and the spiritual. And you might say, well, maybe it is literal. But Adam, you just said that Christians won't be there to see it. Okay. One, are you a Christian? Because if you're not, then that doesn't put you in that group that won't be in there to see it. But secondly, let's say you are a Christian. Friends, the spiritual and the supernatural are incredibly real. The reasons that we do things like pray and the reasons we do things like seek to live in the holiness of God is because we are not unaware that the supernatural and the spiritual are real. These things, when you look at chapter 9, 20, verse 20 and 21, and it links idolatry and magic arts with murder and theft and immorality. Don't think that they're not connected. Don't think that there aren't people who are addicted to substance that also has a demonic link. Don't think that there aren't people who are addicted to immorality. And yes, people are addicted to sexual immorality, and it's not linked to demonic things. Don't think that there aren't spiritual wars happening for the souls of people that you and I know. So if it's symbolic, don't miss the story it's telling. Is it literal? Don't underestimate the potential for the spiritual and the supernatural. Another thought is that it's futuristic, it's interpretive. And what that means is that John is a first century human who sees things in the future and he sees missile launches and he sees meteor strikes and he sees helicopters and, and tanks and weapons of warfare. And he's trying his best to describe them. This is what I would say then. The book of the Revelation is more believable than it ever has been. It's more believable than it ever has been. What do I mean by that? I mean this. That, you know what? You might have read this in, you know, 300 AD. You might have read this in, in 1690 or 1720 or something and said, this sounds crazy. You know, and maybe somebody in like, you know, when as cannons and, and things became more popular and use in militaries, people thought, oh, is this what it's talking about? But even then you would say, you can't kill that many people. You'll never make a cannon or a musket so big that that many would die. But we live in an age where we literally can kill a city in one minute with one bomb. We live in an age where everyone can see everything because of satellites and internet and cell phones. The book of the Revelation is more believable than it's ever been. More believable than it's ever been. What inspires me and impresses me are Christians who take the Bible seriously 100, 200, 300, 500 years ago, who read these words and took them seriously and said, we believe that this will happen. We don't know how, we don't know what it means, but we believe it will happen. And they were mocked by more respectable Christians. We have the writing. 
And yet, they, they said, this is what we think the Bible is saying because they took it seriously. And it's more believable now than it's ever been. In fact, the people who look foolish are the people 100, 200, 300, 500 years ago who mocked those who took the Bible seriously. I wanted to talk about symbols. When we read through these things, I kind of take all of it. I believe that they are symbolic and they are trying to tell a story. I believe that they could very well be literal. And in some cases, it's most likely that one thing is literal while another thing is what we might call interpretive or futuristic, that, that something is literally a mountain falling to earth, right? That's how you would describe seeing a meteor, a large one hitting the earth. While something else could be something futuristic that John is trying to interpret as best he can with his limited knowledge and scope. Both could be true at the same time. In fact, one verse could be speaking of something very literal. One verse could be speaking of something that's interpreted from the future. And another verse could be just painting this symbolic picture in the same chapter. So I kind of take a approach that all of them could be at play. And I want to have a certain amount of humility and respect to say, I don't know for sure when and which is happening. I want to talk about silence. Chapter 8, verse 1 says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Somebody was joking with me. I should start off the sermon on Sunday and say there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and then I should stop speaking and see how long it took for people to look really uncomfortable. I don't think that's a good idea. Silence is a spiritual rhythm of the Christian faith. Now, it's a spiritual rhythm of most faiths. Uh, people recognize there is a value in silence. Our culture seems to want to run from silence as fast as it can. In fact, there's now these, you know, uh, solitude spas, right? You heard about Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, and he came here to Oregon to pay a lot of money to go to this dark room. Like, he could have done that at home. No, he paid a lot of money, and he goes to this place, and it's this bed, and there's a little place to go to the bathroom, and there's essentially a yoga mat, and you're shown where everything is so that you can find it in the dark, and then you give them all of your devices, and you go into a room, and if, like, your mom dies, they'll come get you, but otherwise, no matter what, your agent could be calling your best friend saying, hey, hey, just need to talk to him. Nope, he said not to be disturbed. People pay a lot of money for these things that the church has always said is a good idea. In fact, as we're Protestants, right? We're not Catholic, we're not Orthodox. And, and as much as I'm thankful for the Protestant Reformation, I think one of the things that is a downside that happened was that because the monasteries had become so corrupt, and, and if you read the history of what was going on in monasticism in Western Europe by the time of the Reformation, like those needed to be done away with. But some of the valuable practices of silence, solitude, and reflection were lost to Protestants because of it. And I think there is a value in recapturing moments and places of silence where you turn off the music, you take your ear pods out, you shut out the noise, and you sit with yourself and with God. I think there is a value to that and one that we should not lose and one that we should recapture. It's also interesting to me that the book of the Revelation is full of everyday, what we might even call boring, monotonous, mundane, spiritual rhythms, Christian disciplines that reap amazing results. The book starts with John sitting on a Sunday morning worshiping God. It starts with John observing the, the spiritual rhythms of prayer, 
of, of the word of God, of seeking the Holy Spirit. Maybe he was singing a song. These spiritual rhythms and disciplines that are just basic things that we do in a commonplace way. And yet the whole book kicks off with John doing this. John does it on a Sunday morning, which is almost universally been the point, the main gathering point of Christians throughout the last 2,000 years. And before that, the heritage of the Jewish faith meeting on Saturdays. The Jewish faith gathering together in community during feasts and festivals. This idea, these spiritual rhythms and disciplines of gathering and worshiping and praying and being silent and then being loud and all of these things. And they pay off massively. There's silence in heaven. And can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be? There's times on Sunday mornings at Faith on Hill where if you've never been to a Sunday morning, we, we gather, we start with a couple songs of worship, with some announcements, and then we do the Bible study. And then we used to just go straight into a couple more songs to close things out, but a year or two ago, we started praying. And some mornings on a Sunday morning, people are just praying and praying and praying, and, and it, you know, it fills up the room. But there are some mornings where it gets silent. And man, that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. But I think it's a healthy thing. Because we're not used to it. To sit, to pause, to wait. It's healthy to be silent before the Lord. Now, as we said recently, just because it's silent doesn't mean God isn't working. Just because there's silence doesn't mean that things aren't about to happen. What if that silence, that pause, was a moment of grace for the people who had been experiencing the judgment of God in the first six seals? What if that silence is the grace of God? Maybe you're frustrated about feeling like God is silent, and what if that silence is grace from God? Think about that. The silence in heaven for a half an hour is a reminder to me that these everyday spiritual rhythms that Christians have engaged in for thousands of years are still vitally important for us today in 2023. And we should not abandon them. The basics, prayer, worship through song and other actions, communion, the hearing, reading, and teaching of the Bible, gathering together in community, of lifting our voices and being silent. We don't want to miss out. And finally, I want to emphasize that prayer is powerful. This golden censer, this, this thing that if you've ever been to a, a, a really traditional Catholic service or an Orthodox service or a, uh, some, in, like I said, in some Protestant uh, but more traditionalist Protestant uh, groups like the Anglicans or the Lutherans might have it, and they swing this censer that's full of incense and smoke and it's fragrant and it represents this presence of God and the prayers of his people. And the angel takes it and it says he hurls it at the earth. Every time somebody has prayed, Lord, when will there be justice? Every time somebody has prayed, Lord, when will this wickedness end? Every person who endured the pain of an authoritarian dictator, every person who has endured the evils of a rampaging army, the murder, the rape, the starvation, every 
Every believer right now in Sudan who is praying, Lord, when will this end? Every, every person in the Ukraine who has suffered under the foot of the Russians. Every believer in Russia who has suffered. Right now in Russia, there are Christians who have been jailed for their faith. Every person who has endured pain from the institutional church. People who were abused, mistreated, mishandled by the these institutions that call themselves the church. And they said, God, when, why, when will you stop this? And that judgment is coming. He hurls those prayers at the earth. And it's symbolically, symbolically, what the picture that is being painted is this is the answer to the prayers. Remember when the fifth seal was open and all of those who had been killed for their faith in Jesus said, how long, O Lord? And this is the answer. Symbolically, the prayers are being answered. Symbolically, the justice of God is being shown to the earth and this is the testimony of those who were harmed, persecuted, killed by wicked people. Literally, this could be describing the things that we see in chapters 8 and chapters 9 as things fall to the earth. You know, everybody's like, well, is this nuclear war? Is this smart bombs? Are these, are the, maybe, but you know what? What if God is saying, why would I waste my time with your frail human technology? And he is literally throwing the cosmos at the planet. And if it is literal, and God is saying, fine, do you know what the judgment I'm going to do? At least in part, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to take away the restraints. Those four angels that have been restraining this army are removed. And God says, have what you want. You want war? Have it. You want immorality? Live in it. You want your idolatry? Where are your gods now? Prayer is powerful. Your prayers right now, my prayers, are in the presence of God. It says so right here. Prayer is powerful. Your prayers are thrown against the earth as a witness against them, as judgment towards them, as justice being enacted. Do I understand everything about prayer? I do not. I know that we have had an influx of people saying, can you pray for me, especially around cancer? So we pray. There has been an influx of people praying, saying, here, this this, this situation where we are suffering, can you pray? So we pray. There has been these people that have been given to us, and some that we know, and some that we're connected to, and some are just names on a sheet, but we pray for them every Sunday morning for their salvation. And we pray. Because prayer is powerful. Prayer is changes things. Do I understand how it works? No. Does it always work in the way or the time or the place that I think it should? That's not my business. That's the Lord's. But don't don't miss out. Is there symbolism in the book of the Revelation? Yes, but don't miss the story it's telling. And it's telling a story of God delivering his people out of judgment and judgment coming on people who will not repent. Friend, Repent of your sins. Turn from this world that is dying and say, I want the kingdom of God. And the only way that happens is through God himself, Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection, the power and the victory that he achieved. And as we place faith in him, as we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. 
And as we are saved, we are invited into these rhythms and disciplines as we await our deliverance from this world. Believers, Christians, it's time to grow. And in these basic spiritual disciplines, it's time to grow strong. And as we grow strong, we learn more and more that our prayers have power and weight and they matter. So let's not stop praying. Let's be okay with silence. Let's gather together. Let's hear the word of God. Let's lift our voices in prayer. Let's silence our voices in prayer. Because all of this matters. The symbols matter. The silence matters. People's souls are on the line. May the grace of God be with you during this week. May the peace of God be full in our hearts, in your relationships, in your community, in the world around you. May God be merciful and gracious and bring peace to places like Sudan, Ukraine, and Yemen. May the power of God through his Holy Spirit be full in your lives. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.